We're going to kick off a new series this morning. Believe it or not, it is actually Christmas. Can you believe it? Listen, for some of you, I feel like I need to give this fair warning. It is roughly 21 shopping days left until Christmas. Husbands, alert, 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 alert. The bald man said present in 21 days for wife, okay? <clears throat> and I can't help you if Sunday, you know, Christmas morning you give your wife a gift card and your wife's like, Pastor Chris said three weeks ago that this was coming. You should have done better. But we're gonna just turn our attention into uh, looking at Christmas this year. But one of the things I love to do is I love to watch Christmas movies. Who's watched a Christmas movie that already this year? Oh, yeah, we already got to get our Christmas movies out, right? Um, <clears throat> some of you, and they've gone a little astray over the last couple of years. My wife and I used to watch like every Christmas Hallmark movie there is, all right? Every season. Here's the amazing thing about Hallmark Christmas movies. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. But you still watch them all and realize you've seen the same thing 56 times. It's amazing. But we're going to just take this time and uh, kind of go through some Christmas movies and, and this idea of Christmas at the movies, because here's the reality. We love to sit down and watch these movies because they give us the feels. They give us the, that great feeling inside of the good things that are out there. And, and I love all of that. And it's amazing. Suddenly this climactic moment where something awesome happens. And the only thing we can think about is wrapping up in a blanket and going to get more hot chocolate. And, and it's just a great moment. But there are also some things that really tie back into Scripture that we want to look at through these, this process. Because this isn't just about the hope of Christmas and toys and Santa and all of that stuff. This is the hope of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate as, in this time of year. So, I, I don't know. How many of you have a favorite Christmas movie? Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? All right, all right. I'm going to count to three. Yell out your favorite Christmas movie. Ready? One, two, three. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. I feel like I'm going to take that stance right here, right now, okay? Whew. Okay. I, I think I heard all of those. Those are really nice, but I'm the pastor, so we're going to look at my favorite movies. Sorry. Um, so we're, we're going to look through some of these, but I want to introduce one to you. Uh, this is one of my favorites. It's, it was back in the 90s, so we might call this back in the day, but hopefully you've seen it. It is The Santa Claus. How many of you have seen the Santa Claus? Anybody not see the Santa Claus before? A couple of you. That's okay. You're going to have an education today. Uh, I feel like I got to say this out of the gate. This is in no way an endorsement of Disney. Before you fill Pastor Mike's you know, email with hate mail this week about Pastor Chris endorsing Disney, I'm not endorsing Disney. I just like the Santa Claus, okay? And it was made back in the day when Disney was still good for kids. But uh, really love Tim Allen as well. I'm a big Tim Allen fan back in the day. Home improvement. Ha, 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 ha. My wife gave me this look when I barked in the first, yeah, that's okay. <clears throat> She's not in this service. But really excited to kind of look at this because this is an awesome story and we're going to look at a couple clips through this, but I want to tie this back into scripture. What is it about this movie, movies like these, that just really get us excited and how can we turn that into an excitement to have a deeper relationship with Jesus, to advance our walk with Christ? And so we're going to kick this off, Christmas at the Movies here, and I want to introduce you to, this is Scott Calvin, Okay before he was the Santa Claus. Scott Calvin, and I want to give you the, kind of the opening here of who Scott is and kind of what his life is like. If you can roll that for me, please. Laura, I was hoping to catch you before you left your house. I ran real late today. You wouldn't believe the traffic out here. Yeah, same to you! And that's not very ladylike! <laughs> anyway, I'll try to get to my house as soon as I can. Oh, 
problem right there. Three car pilot. I'm really going to be late. All right, let's go. Bye, Charlie. Bye, Neil. Neil's waiting in the car, so... Why doesn't he come in? Because, Daddy, says you'll just end up saying something snotty. Not necessarily. Could be rude or sarcastic. Whatever it takes. See? I gotta go. Come Here. on. Christmas Eve. Just for now. Watch those steps. They're real slippery. Told you. So... So here we have our opening scene here, right? A little bit, of, a little bit about Scott Calvin. Here's the, the thing that we're learning right off the bat about him. He's not really the greatest character that you're going to pick for a Christmas movie, right? And, and isn't that part of it, the, the, this part of the stories that we all look at? There's always like a broken person, an angry person, a hurt person, whatever it is, that they're this main character that we're focusing on. But here's the reality about them is something that we really love. They've got a messy backstory, all right. Here's here's what they're looking at. This this guy Scott Calvin has a messy backstory. He's not a really good dad. He doesn't spend a lot of time with his kids. He's divorced. He's you know running a business. He lies to people. You see him driving around lying about the traffic and everything. He just is a little selfish, and and that's just who he is, right? But but I think we can look at this and unidentify because there's a reality in all of us. We all have a messy backstory. Can anybody relate to that? We all have a messy backstory. It's not pretty, it's not perfect, but it's this moment of realization that if not for the grace of God, where would we be? And how do we get there? But I want to introduce you to somebody this morning. We're going to actually go to Acts chapter 7 if you want to go there in your Bible or if you don't have a Bible. We have Bibles in the pews there that you can uh, open up to the book of Acts. That's around page 912 if you don't know where that is. But I want to introduce you to a man named Saul, okay? And now just to give you a little bit of background about Saul, when we were doing communion a few minutes ago, we read a letter that was written to the Corinthian church. Guess who wrote it? Saul. Paul, right? He's later Paul after his conversion, but he writes this letter. But I want to take you to the very first place that we see Saul come up in Scripture because, believe it or not, he actually has a messy backstory. In fact, what happens after Jesus goes into heaven, 
is that the Jewish high priest and the high council are going around and they're persecuting Christians. They're trying to get people to stop worshiping Jesus. And they bring in this man, his name is Stephen, and they bring him in and they're charging him with worshiping Jesus and he just begins to testify to the goodness of God. And this is where we're gonna pick it up as he's testifying. Acts 7, verses 57 to uh, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, then they began to put their hands over their ears. This is the high council, right? And they began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named dun, 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 Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Whoa, this is the first mention of the guy who writes more than half of the New Testament. The first time we we see him, the first time we get to know who he is, he's a young man who was brought up in the school of Gamaliel, who was a a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. He was training to become one of the, the high councils, the high priests, those kind of things. And he sees Christianity happening, and he wants to stop it in its tracks because that's what the people around him want. They don't want anything to do with it, and it really creates for a messy backstory because not only does he oppose Christianity, he literally goes as far as to partaking in the murder of Christians. He's standing there as Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, is being stoned to death, and he looks on with approval, and this is the first thing that we read about this man. Can I tell you that should encourage us? How is that encouraging? Here's the reality. We all have a messy backstory. We all have a messy backstory. And you know, it's the same when we're looking at these movies, as we're looking at ourselves. We look at people and we're like, if I'm writing out a list of the people that God might be able to use, I'm probably not picking that guy. Or maybe it's about yourself. If God was making up a list of people that he has a plan for and the things that he wants to do in their lives, it's probably not going to be me. But can I just let you in on a little secret, okay? Are you listening? There's hope for every life. There's hope for every life because of Jesus. There isn't a single person in this room or that you have ever met or ever will meet that is outside of the ability for God to transform and to turn around for his good. There's hope for every life. The messiest backstories, and listen, as a pastor, I've come across this so many times in my life, inviting people to come to church. Oh, preacher, if you knew the things I've done and the places I've been and the people I've hurt and the things you know, that go down the list, you wouldn't even want me in that church. Half the time I'm tempted to tell them if you knew the things that I've done and the places that I've been and the people that I've hurt, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. But when we look in scripture, here's the reality. There are messy backstories everywhere and some of the messiest backstories that we see in scripture go on to be the people that God uses for the greatest level of purpose and good throughout all of scripture. Can I just tell you this this morning? If you're sitting on a stage in life or looking back on your past and thinking, my backstory is messed up and it's broken and God's done with me and can't use me and there's no hope for me, please hear me. There's hope for every life. There is hope for every life because of Jesus. That includes you, it includes me, it includes the people sitting around you, your neighbors, family members, friends, all of it are included in that because of what God has done. But there's a maturation process that takes place as we begin to follow God. Because here's the reality, we start with I don't deserve this, but here's here's what's true, none of us deserve it. 
Nobody deserves to be saved by God. It's a gift, a free gift of grace that we can't even boast about because God's just that good. None of us deserve it, but once we receive it, it begins to do its work and it's a process. How many of you look back on life and you're like, I'm not the same person today that I was 20 years ago? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you look back at that person and you're like, oh, and I thought that was good. Right, and maybe 20 years from now, if, if, if God doesn't send Jesus back, you know, we'll still look back and be like, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing better now. But I wanna look at part of this maturation process because we see this in this movie with Scott Calvin here. It's the very infant stages of, I'm gonna start to become this person just a little bit. So if you can roll that for me. No, 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 hold it. There's no chimney here. Can you hear me? No chimney, all right? You have got to be kidding. Come on, look at the size of this thing. Santa? Scott Calvin. How can your clothes are so baggy? Because Santa is watching his saturated fats. How come you don't have a beard? Because I shaved. Do you want this doll or not? Go back to sleep. You're supposed to drink the milk. Look, I am lactose intolerant. And I am just about this close to taking all those presents back to the chimney with me. Supposed to drink that milk. You ever have Christmas like that? <laughs> no joke, uh, twice in our lives, our Christmas tree has fallen down. One time it was on Meredith as an infant. <sighs> Did the next best thing. We got some screws and some string and we strung it up to the wall. <laughs> Can't fall down anymore. Here's what we're looking at, right? We got this guy and he's like, I'm kind of embracing this who I'm supposed to be thing. But it's not quite right right? He's going through the motions. He's like, yeah, I'll put on the jacket. I'll do the bag. I'll even go down the chimney. But he goes down there and he starts yelling at this little girl, right? He's like, I'm lactose intolerant. I shaved my beard. I'm trying to stay skinny. Bad Santa, right? And he gets angry because he's doing all of these things, but he's not doing it from the right place. He's actually just going through the motions instead of completely surrendering his heart and getting to the place of like, this is actually who I am. He's just kind of filling in a role. And the same thing can happen in our relationship with Christ. We can, through that maturation process, start into, I'm going to look the way I should look or sound the way I should sound and talk the right way and go the right places and think the right things. But it's a process in which we're being continually refined. But I want to show you what happened to Paul in that process. Because believe it or not, 
Even though God called Paul into ministry to do amazing things, Paul did not have a very good beginning in his ministry. You may have never seen this before, so I'll show it to you. But here's what happens. Paul gets up, and he, or Saul gets up, and he goes, and he's heading to, to a town called Damascus. He has an encounter with Jesus, and he says, hey, why are you persecuting me? You need to stop. Jesus blinds him. He ends up having to go into town where a man prays for him, and he gets his sight back, and it's really exciting, but he tells him, you're called into ministry. God has a plan for you. You're supposed to go preach the gospel to the nations. So Paul does this, all right? Here's what it, sa- what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 to 31. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. That seems reasonable, right? They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, Galilee, Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Now, let's look at this really quickly. Paul goes on the scene, he starts ministering in boldness, but then something happens. He finds the other Greek-speaking Jews, and what does he do? He starts to debate them. Anybody experience this for Thanksgiving? (laughs) Right? Let's have a lively debate while we eat turkey and get really tired. How about we have a lively debate? Let's talk about politics. Let's talk about religion. Let's talk about sports. Let's debate, 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 debate. And and here is where Paul goes. Now listen to this. Read the sentences here. Here's what it says. They hear about this and you're, you're inclined to think, well, they're just worried about his safety. But here's what happens. It says they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. And then look what happens. Then the church had peace. Paul, go home. You're not quite right yet, buddy. In fact, if you study the life of Paul, you'll find that from the time of his conversion to the point where he really gets rolling in ministry is almost 10 years. He wants to be the person, wants to play the part, but when he gets there, what does he start doing? He starts debating and arguing and trying to convince people that they need to follow Jesus. And and can I just say this to you? Please hear me once again. I'm going to tell you the, the opportune moments to really tune in. Not that you're allowed to tune out otherwise, but really tune in here, okay? There is a greater love than winning an argument. There is a greater love than winning an argument. I'm going to take a step further. This is going to shock you. That includes Facebook. There is a greater love than that zinger comment that you're sure is going to set that person straight. They will never think about that topic the same way ever again because you made that comment so well thought out. Has that ever worked for anyone? There is a greater love than winning the argument. Listen, I'll say this. Believe me, this is part of my DNA. My wife literally shouted amen in the first service i don't like to lose arguments (laughs) not that my wife and i ever argue our marriage is perfect and we always just sing and laugh together but (laughs) oh it's because you know who i'm married to (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's just move on. I don't like to lose arguments, okay? But here's the problem. When I was young, when I first got married, I had to win every argument. But everyone who's been married maybe more than 10, 15 years has learned in that process, there's a greater love than winning the argument. <laughs> My dad told me this, son, you can be right or you can be happy. Pick one. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> it's fine. There's a greater love. And here's where Paul gets so mixed up. He comes in and he's trying to debate everybody, trying to win the argument. And he's really pushing and pushing and pushing. And much like we see this character here, it's just going through the motions. And we do the same thing. I'm trying to sound the right way, look the right way, go the right way, do the right things, be in this, then. But we mess it up because we're not there yet and it's, it's a part of maturing and growing and we're not all the way done. Listen, I look back on my early years of, of ministry even when I was a youth pastor 20 years ago and I look back on the way that when I was leading those kids and at that point in time, I thought it was better to be like one of the guys than it was to actually be a spiritual leader and I look back on some of the mistakes that I made in that season of life and I'm like, God, why didn't you just like kick me out of ministry right then and there? I made so many mistakes and the truth of it is, we're not always going to get it right. It's not perfect. But there is a difference between just saying, I'm going to go through the motions. I'm going to do this church thing. I'm going to do this God thing to the point of finally embracing what it means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the moment, and we see this in all of our Christmas movies, that we're just so full of excitement. Because the person with the bad backstory, the person who was getting it wrong, they finally reach a point where they get it. And suddenly we're just like, oh, that's so great. I want to show you this moment here in the Santa Claus where he just gets it, and then we'll wrap up together. You think you know who he is? You don't. Charlie, honey, listen, you're confused. Remember. Listen, there's a, there's a lot of kids out there, okay? Millions of kids. They, they, all, they all believe in me. They're counting on me, Charlie, and I... I'm not going to let them down. i got a lot of work to do. Why can't be selfish either? You gave me a wonderful gift, Charlie. Listen, a wonderful gift. You believed in me when nobody else did. You helped make me see it. You're the least, the least selfish person I know. Here's the moment, the climactic moment for us of this movie, and it's really something that we cling to and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He goes from messy backstory, not quite right, going through the motions, 
to this one day becoming absolutely resolute, this is who I am. This is who I am. And it has changed everything about me. And and we look at him and it's like this guy who at the beginning of the movie was just so selfish and so messed up is now the guy who's saying, I can't be selfish. I have to live my life differently because there are people depending on me. The exact same thing happens when we get to the end here with the Apostle Paul. He talks about his new identity in Christ. And we read it in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 18. But I want to read this to you because this is where Paul ended up. Saul, the guy who held coats while Stephen was being martyred, the guy who looked on with approval, the guy who stirred up the church and had it so in a turmoil that he had to leave town in order for peace to be resumed. This is where he comes to in 2 Corinthians 5. I want to read this for you. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who, bought, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. This is Paul's aha. This is who I am. This is what I was made for. This is the reason I exist. I used to look at the world the way everybody else does. I used to just use the same metrics and measurements for success and happiness and joy that everybody else had. It was all about the money and the power and the status and the wealth and every. I used to do the exact same thing. He says, believe it or not, I even looked at Jesus the same way the rest of the world does. But then God got a hold of my life and he so radically transformed me that it brought me to a place that I died to myself. I don't think about my own self anymore, the own, my own ideas for success and future and what I want. I don't think about anything except for what God wants and what he sees. And he looks around and he sees broken, hurting, lost people. And Paul says, God has given me the ministry of reconciliation. And then he turns and says this to the Corinthian church, God has given it to you as well. You exist, you're here, not just to say I'm a Christian, not just to say I go to church, but to really and truly fully embrace what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we look at a movie like this and our hearts are warmed by this selfish guy who finally gets it right. But can I tell you that it is nothing in comparison to the rejoicing in heaven when God looks down on his sons and daughters and sees they finally get it. This life's not for them. It's not about them. This life is for my glory. And as we embrace that, it fully becomes our identity. Listen, you know what happens? Christianity stops being something you do and it starts becoming what you are. I am a Christian. You don't just go to church. I am the church. I am the church. This is my identity. And it doesn't change. There aren't moments when I'm like, well, it's okay to act this way here and that way there. Listen, that's part of the maturity process. 
But it's fully getting to that place of, no, this is who I am and who I'm going to be. And I love the way that he says this. There are a lot of people depending on me. Church, if we could get a hold of that, it would radically transform our thinking. You know, we think ourselves islands most of the time. But the truth is, there's a whole world that's depending on us in our relationship with Jesus. Your neighbors, family members, friends, and they're not depending on you to become the best debater so that you can win the next debate at Christmas. Thinking about the conversation you had at Thanksgiving and you're like, oh, when I see them again, I've got the zinger that's gonna set them straight. Because there's a greater love than winning an argument. Paul finally learned that. He said, I died to myself. He told the Corinthian church, I actually have to do it every day. Every morning I've got to get up and die to myself because I'm still a man. I still have selfish thoughts, selfish desires. I crucify them every day and say, God, today's for your glory. I live for you. I want to be used by you. I want to reach people for you. I don't want to evaluate the world around me the way that everybody else is looking at it. I want to see it through your eyes, God. I want to fully embrace being a child of God because that is my identity. And then Paul says it this way, for those who are in Christ, I mean, the old has passed away. That's not even who you are anymore. You're totally brand new. Fully fulfilled in the purpose that God has for you. Church, I want to encourage you over these next few weeks as we're going through Christmas and all of the things that we're doing. I don't know where you're at in the journey. Maybe you're stuck in messy backstory stage. That's a reality. There are people in this room, I guarantee, people watching us online, they are stuck in the messy backstory stage. I'm ashamed of my pastor. I'm ashamed of what I've been through and what I've done. And I just, can God even forgive me? Listen, it is a lie from the pit of hell that tries to convince you that God has a plan for everybody else but you. It's not true. Please hear me. It's not true. There's no list of, well, if you did this or if you did this or if you did that, if you drive a Ford, you can't. No, none of those things are there. Because there's hope for every life. There's hope for every life. I don't know if you're in the stage where you're kind of going through the motions. You're trying. Trying to give this church thing a try. Trying to give this God thing a try. Maybe even serving a little bit here and there. Being part of a ministry or going to a life group or whatever that looks like. But you know that of yourself, when you're out in other places, you're still kind of living for self and thinking for self and doing for self. Listen, God is calling you to a place of fully and finally embracing your identity in Christ. And to submit before you this ministry of reconciliation that he's given you because there's a whole world that's depending on you. Your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, they're depending on you to be the hope of Jesus in their lives. It's a high calling. We're not all there yet, but by the grace of God, we will be. Will you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you for your patience with us as we go through this journey of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are a lot of mistakes that we make. There's a lot of brokenness and there are messes in our background and our history that a lot of times rob us of that feeling that we can even be a part of the story. God, I just pray that you would begin to speak with clarity to combat the lies that Satan tries to bring against your people 
Lord, I pray that even in this moment, that they would just hear, maybe even for the first time, that what was accomplished on the cross is enough for them. What Jesus did on the cross was enough for them. And I pray, God, that you would just set captives free. God, that you'll be with us in the journey as we're moving forward, learning to embrace the identity of what it means to be a a follower of Jesus and to live that and to truly forsake everything else. As we're in prayer, I just want to ask you, as you know, every head is bowed and eyes are closed, it's just a moment between you and the Lord. But if you're here today and you'd say, I I am, I'm in the messy category, the messy background category. There are times I struggle to believe that God could use me because of my brokenness and my past. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up my hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you, thank you, yeah. Yeah, that's real. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm... I'm trying to do this God thing and I'm trying to be righteous and live for God's glory, but I know I'm still making mistakes and I'm not getting it right. It's not my full identity yet. If that's you, I just want to ask you to slip up a hand. I want to pray for you as well. Yeah, thank you. Quite a few of you. Can I ask you to stand as we close together? I want to pray for you, but here's the reality. Prayer doesn't work like in the movies when Scott Calvin just puts on a jacket. You have to make the decision. That's why Paul said, I have to die daily. I have to make the conscious decision and effort to die to self so that I can fully embrace what it means to be alive in Christ. But I want to pray encouragement over you through that process. It's not just going to happen today. It happens tomorrow and the next day and the next day and 10 years from now and 20 years from now if Jesus doesn't return. But this is the moment where we maybe break the lies of the enemy in some of your hearts and minds. It's the moment where God draws you and says, son, daughter, I'm calling you to a place of identity in me. And so Lord, I just pray right now for those in this room and maybe those online who are really stuck in that messy background stage. Just, they've been lied to. The enemy has convinced them that whatever it is that they did or didn't do or or whatever is just, it has totally excluded them from what you have in store for their lives. And God, I pray that you would just begin to speak truth into them. There's hope for their lives. There's hope for their futures. You haven't erased the plans that you had for them just because they made some mistakes. And God, I pray that you would speak to those in here who are maybe in that middle stage of not quite right, going through the motions, but not quite fully embracing. God, I pray that you do a great work in them, extending a loving and merciful hand, not a an accusing finger that says you're not where you need to be, but a a gracious hand that says, follow me. I've got greater things in store for you. God, I pray that you will work wonders in our hearts and lives and draw us to that place where our final identity is in you. It's all for your glory, God. And we give it for you as a gift for all that you've given for us. Transform us and use us, Lord. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Love on each other and encourage each other. Our prayer team will be up here if you'd like prayer this morning. Go out and embrace your identity in Christ this week.